if you know the music and you know your instrument well enough and you're not having to read from charts or anything like that then you can stop worrying about what your hands and your eyes are doing and start to really focus on what's going on with the rest of your body and the rest of the people in the room the other guys in the band you don't have to play the entire set behind your head although I quite like to sometimes but it's just as important to not just sit or stand looking like part of the furniture hi and welcome to big gig energy a podcast by musicians for musicians helping you get bigger gigs no matter what level you're at i'm your host steve leggett and with 10 years experience as a professional musician doing everything from pubs and functions to traveling the world in the ukulele boy band i understand that being a musician is rarely the glamorous experience people make it out to be and that building your career up to a point where you get to go pro is about the most challenging professional leap of faith there is but i'm going to use my experience and insight and maybe a guest or two to help you activate your own big gig energy take things to the next level whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out so let's get to it well hello and welcome to episode three of big gig energy this week we're looking at six ways that we can make your band shows the ultimate product because at the end of the day that is what they are your shows are your product and we want the people that consume your product to think it was really good at the end of the day because that's what's going to lead to you either getting more fans or more gigs and bigger fans, bigger numbers of fans, and greater amounts of gigs. All of these things, it all ties into quality, the quality of the product. It was a key point early on in Breaking Bad where, you know, the whole shtick was that they were making better crystal meth than everybody else, and it was the quality of the product that gave Water White his success. And in this case, we need to look at a similar sort of principle, and that is getting your gigs, getting your shows to be as good of a consumable product as they possibly can be. I'll just take this opportunity at the start to say, at risk of this podcast sounding a bit like a rant, the intention is that it'd be more of a series of constructive criticisms. In other words, please don't take offence if it sounds like I'm singling you out here on anything that I don't think is ideal. Obviously, these are all my opinions of what a band and their performance would look like and act like in a perfect world at a perfect gig where their where their product is absolutely perfect which obviously is unlikely to be the case for anyone in any situation so as i say constructive criticism not meant to be a personal attack at anybody i mean no one any disrespect so just thought i'd tack that on here preemptively in case anyone that doesn't hook their cable through their strap gets offended that i say that is something you should absolutely do Let's get on with the show. So the three key rules that all of these steps will fall into, the overall overarching laws of thermodynamics and gravity and all this sort of thing, the the established rules of this universe, for sake of argument for this episode, this can vary depending exactly where you are in the industry, but again, for sake of argument, let's just assume this is the established fact. So your band is your brand, so let's say you compare it to chocolate your branding is you are a mars bar or you could be the mars bars whatever that's all your branding and it's really key to acknowledge that the actual band that's a brand it's nothing more than that that's just your brand that's how people will recognize you when people hear about a mars bar they can imagine what that is obviously other chocolate available um but yeah if they hear that they know what it is it's a recognizable thing and people associate value and they attach value to that brand that they recognize and recognition is very important the idea of branding is important 
often people conflate recognition with quality. If you see adverts about for the same thing over and over again, you're going to assume it's good because you see that they've got the the funding for advertising and therefore they must be a big deal. But often the things you see advertised over and over again, they're often pretty rubbish. And the reason they're advertised over and over again is because they ain't selling. So it just proves that branding is so important because at the end of the day, they, things do sell and they do have value attached to them if they are recognized and if they see them about and if it's a good strong brand people are more likely to recognize you next up we need to acknowledge that the show your gigs your performances that is the product so if the mars bar logo and branding are the brand then the mars bar itself the actual chocolate product within the wrapper that is the product just the same as your shows and your gigs that you perform they are the product as well and then finally the recording is marketing so if you see adverts for said mars bar that is the marketing just the same as if you have recordings on spotify or cds that you sell at gigs anything like that that is effectively in this day and age marketing and nothing more it's merchandising it's a way of getting yourself out there and getting heard and a really the most efficient way as a musician of building your following is to have these recordings and videos on YouTube and such like and having them in place. Critically though we need to get all three of these things working together if we want to attain any kind of success as working musicians. Branding, merchandising and product considerations are really essential to so many businesses and whether you're a solo act or a band and playing covers or originals all of these ducks need to be in a neat little row for you. They all need to be taken care of and each one of them needs to be working and they all need to be working together a bit like the fire triangle used to doing chemistry that sort of thing for gun for hire musicians and orchestral soloists the product side of things is especially important because the product yes it's your shows but it's how you act at those shows and it's your what you bring to these shows becomes especially important and also because you don't have time to rehearse with the band and you're coming in as a one-off it's that much harder to put across value in the course of a show than it is if you have an entire have control of the entire product you know as a gun for hire you don't get any control on what everyone else is doing often you might turn up to a gig and the rest of the band haven't a clue what they're doing and obviously that's a good way of demonstrating value because you can be the only person who knows what they're doing but at the same time the overall product is going to be pretty rubbish and that's not your fault so the trick is for you to just be as good as you can be so again in that case you are the product but obviously, from the example I've just given, the social considerations are a bit different. You know, what is overstepping? Do you point out to the rest of the band that maybe they should have learned the rest of the songs? All these things. There's a whole lot of politics involved at this stage. And I guess taking it again in a business-like manner and going, well, is it my place to bring this up? If I'm going to bring it up, how do I do it in a constructive and polite way that isn't going to trigger anybody or anything like that? It all comes down to just things are a bit different if you're part of an established band or if you're just visiting, really. So let's crack on with the list. Six things to focus on to make your product as good as it can possibly be. Number one is musicality. It's the most obvious component, really. You just you need to be proficient at your instrument and you need to know your set list backwards. 
even if you're coming in as a hired gun and it's just standard function tunes, you should know the repertoire because it is a pretty standard repertoire. You should know all of it backwards. You know, uh, crucially, as a musician, if you're rehearsing before an initial gig with any band, you're going to need to know everything before the first rehearsal. Rehearsals aren't for learning the material, they're for checking everybody can play the material together and running through things and looking at ways of getting it nice and tight, not seeing if you can remember where the bridge is. Obviously mistakes can happen for players at any level, but they should never be because the material wasn't 100% learned in the first place, or you know, even 80%. You just turn up to the rehearsal knowing what you're doing if there's going to be one, and certainly turn up to the gig with a really clear idea of what your place is within the band and what your part you're going to be playing. At the gig and the rehearsal, as a band, you then need to listen to each other, be sensitive to what's going on on stage. You know, for example, if an inexperienced singer skips ahead or loses place in a song, a decent band should be able to hear what's going on and speed up or slow down or skip a section or whatever so that they can join in with them and everything can resolve and carry on. Situations can change and scenarios don't go to plan, but your performance will need to be good enough to adapt to that. You just you need to be good enough at what you're doing that you can improvise and adapt and overcome a bit. This is why I get a bit funny sometimes about people that turn up with sheet music, like they need the exact dots for every song. Because if somebody says, right, repeat a section, or carry on for this bit for a bit, or does anything remotely off-piece, a lot of these people, their head just explodes if that happens. Another consideration under the musicality umbrella is changes to the original material. You know, if you're an originals band, mix it up a bit. If people have heard your CD and they've heard what you've got on your Spotify, give them a reason to have come out to see you rather than just sitting in the car outside listening to the recorded version. Try doing a section in a different style. Tastefully extend the intro to your most popular song. Have a guest artist join you. You know, ideally somebody you can collaborate with and steal some fans from. Covers bands have a whole other ballpark really because segues are the order of the day here just get as many segues in as possible you don't want dead air in between songs and likewise with originals you know trying a verse in a different style you know reggae goes down a treat um you know there's, there's a few bands i work with do a reggae section in sex on fire for example um one even turns it into mysterious girl and it goes down a treat so just be a little bit creative and a little bit outside the box and give people something unexpected but still reassuringly comforting they know what's happening it's not a huge shock but they're just a bit like oh that's a bit unexpected because it's moments like that that you create that will stay with people and people will remember things like that and if you can get that sort of thing running smooth it really looks like you know your shit which is important but going back to sheet music and charts i probably should make a bit of a note on this as a rule i'm against particularly sheet music um, like again if you need the dots to play something especially in the rock and pop world um, I've worked with people before that have needed the dots for higher and higher by um, what was his name Jackie Wilson which is just the same bass line the whole if you need to sight read that riff for the entire five minutes or however long the song is you probably aren't cut out for this in the nicest possible way like you need to be able to learn songs and you need to be able to build your memory and get used to trusting that you can learn and remember things obviously if you have a long set 
charts, lead sheets, they can be really useful and I absolutely condone those. I work with a lot of really fantastic musicians that still use lead sheets for most of their gigs, if not all of their gigs, just because they have enormous repertoires and it's a great way of just calling out what's going on. And I think a few of the guys I know as well, they have a slightly different version, so it's a good way of remembering all of that. Or if a depth comes in, it can be a great way of, of literally having people reading off the same hymn sheet. But as a general rule, it is a bit of a turn-off, specifically for me. I think, for me, if I see a band and they're clearly reading from notes or from paper of some description I can't see from the audience, what that tells me is that they haven't learnt the material. And if they haven't learned the material, the material doesn't matter to them. And if the material doesn't matter to the people playing it, then why on earth should I, somebody that's paid my hard-earned cash or given up my time to come and watch them, why should I care what they're doing if they don't care enough to actually learn it? So I think that is the root of what my hang-up with sheet music is. And again, obviously, you know, if you're an orchestra or if you got the gig at last minute or if everybody is going off a Sibelius chart... You know, there are exceptions and there are reasons it's okay. But as a general rule, just learn the repertoire. There's not that much of it, and it just makes such a difference to how you look on stage. And again, in terms of getting the product right, it's just confidence. It's like a cocktail waiter that has to check the... And I can say this as a former cocktail waiter that used to have to check the recipes. If you need to keep checking the recipe for how to make a mojito every single time somebody orders one you're probably not cut out to be a cocktail waiter. And I just feel the same thing applies here as a musician. So no disrespect and no shade aimed at anybody, but as a constructive bit of criticism and a way for people to improve that are looking to improve, definitely binning off any sheet music and onstage visual assists, certainly visible ones, you know, maybe upgrade to an iPad on the floor rather than on your music stand, something like that, but something to consider anyway. Next point is one of my favourites. This is, for me, the most important part of the product I offer when I'm out gigging, and that is showmanship, your energy, your interactivity. If you know the music and you know your instrument well enough and you're not having to read from charts or anything like that, then you can stop worrying about what your hands and your eyes are doing and start to really focus on what's going on with the rest of your body and the rest of the people in the room, the other guys in the band, you don't have to play the entire set behind your head, although I quite like to sometimes, but it's just as important to not just sit or stand looking like part of the furniture. You know, it's really important to get into it and show some movement. And if people come to watch a show, they've come to watch a show, they've not come to listen to it. And however tight you might be musically, however few bum notes you put into the performance, if you're just stood there completely stock still, it's going to turn people off. It's not going to be as entertaining as if you're moving about a bit. Obviously, this is the way you move and the way you dance about on stage. It's going to vary between gigs and, you know, if you're playing a funeral, it's probably best not to be dancing around like a lunatic. But at the same time, if you're at a high-energy party gig, it's really important to get into it and bring that energy because people are looking for somebody to lead them. And again, if the people that are leading the event and the people that are creating the music for people to dance to, if they're not feeling it and they're not clearly into it, then nobody else will be that first person to get up on the dance floor and get things going. Coming under showmanship again, I think I've already mentioned this, but again, just to reiterate, please don't have long gaps between your songs. Just don't do it. They interrupt the flow of the set and 
you know, if the singer likes to monologue, have them talk over the intro to the next song rather than talk over dead air. It's again, it's just it's all showmanship, and it just makes it feel like a much more polished product than if song finishes, awkward silence, people go, "What are we doing next? I don't know. What are we doing next? Who's got a set list?" It just doesn't look very good. Or again, if song finishes, awkward silence, and then five-minute rambling monologue from the singer about how they were always lonely as a child, it's just not. It's not helpful. It's not entertaining. It doesn't look good. It doesn't sound good, and it doesn't feel good to be a part of either. So just try when you can. Just try and go from one song smoothly into the next. And if you need to have a long extended intro or an extended outro, then just do that. Just have it all flow. It's so much better than having jarring stops. Particularly, again, to use the party band example, if people are up and dancing, the song's finished, and they're awkwardly sort of stood there and they're realising they've just been dancing, people get real shamed about having been moving, and particularly in England, (laughs) people culturally don't enjoy realising that they've been having a good time. So you really want to grab them and get them dancing again before they realise what they've been doing and the shame kicks in. It's very much an original sin type thing in this country and I'm sure in other places around the world though probably less so but either way the point about keeping things moving remains pertinent item number three professionalism it's an attitude thing it should come as granted but I've just seen so many skin crawlingly bad examples of I want to say unprofessionalism that's probably not the right word but let's call it unprofessionalism over the years I guess it probably doesn't go without saying, sadly. So it's one of those, don't take yourself too seriously, but take your work seriously. Be punctual, be polite to people. Basically, just don't be a dick. Just be a good person as much as you can. Obviously, if you're in a punk band and it's part of the shtick that you need to be a bit nasty, then fine. Be nasty with the fans when you're on stage, but when you're off it, be polite to the venue staff. You know, they're all just trying to work, you know? treat everyone with respect if you can learn their names brilliant because that means an awful lot and it's again it's just a polite thing to do somebody's bringing you water all night or somebody's behind a sound desk making you sound as good as they can possibly make you sound it's really important to show them the respect of learning their name and thanking them and being polite with them rather than just assuming that they're gonna you know again it's just it's just being polite it's just being a good person just again it should go without saying but I have seen examples <laughs> with my own eyes and ears of people not being polite and not being nice to the people that are bending over backwards on their working evening to help you out. That it just, I feel the need to reiterate just don't be a dick, really. That's what it comes down to. The thing to remember is that when you enter a venue of any kind, you're joining a team. You know, the door staff are going to keep the worst of the knobheads outside. The bartenders are going to keep everyone lubricated enough that you sound good, even if you don't. The sound engineer will make you sound good to yourself and the band on stage, to any recording equipment present, and to any designated drivers in the crowd, and to anybody generally picking up on the quality of it. The sound engineer, they have such an important job, and it's so unsung by a lot of musicians. So there's a bit of a symbiotic relationship going on between all of these people, this team, and then the punters themselves, if all of this is going to plan and it's all going smoothly, they're going to have a much better time as well. So it's important for them, it's important for you, it's important for everybody that works there that you just try not to be a cunt. Item number four on my list, 
equipment. Now, any musician will probably have had an encounter with gear acquisition syndrome at some point. I am definitely, I've been suffering with it for as long as I've, well, since long before I took up the guitar, never mind anything else really. But the sad fact is, and I can say this having owned, getting on for 150 guitars and basses in the last 12 years or so, you don't need good gear to sound good. And it doesn't make you play better. It can make it easier, it can make it it can make it feel more effortless if you've got a well set up expensive guitar but also if you have a well set up cheap guitar it's gonna feel great as well you just need functioning gear of a certain basic standard to perform without it being a hindrance unless that's your stick if you like jack white or someone you can gig perfectly well with a really cheap and nasty guitar or instrument or gear of any kind but in general, the ideal situation is to not have to think about what you're playing and what your fingers are doing and whether or not you sound good. If you can be happy that you're not having to fight the instrument and that you're getting a good sound from it, then that's all you really need. And I've done that myself and I've spent... I've, I once spent £40 on a bass on the way to a gig and I think I put some fresh strings on it and tuned it up and I went on stage and I played a wedding with it and it was fine and it sounded great and it just wasn't a problem so all the people that go out and spend two three four grand on an instrument you don't need to if you choose to great you know there's a lot of people out there with very very sexy instruments but don't feel that dropping that kind of money on something is going to make you a better player or make it yeah it, it just isn't going to improve things that it all comes from within you toners in the fingers all that the best way to improve your playing and your sound is to just spend more time practicing. It's a horrible, boring, cop-out answer and it's not what you want to hear, but I'm afraid that's the truth. Another thing to mention with gear is don't fall into the diva trap of needing to have your sound at every single gig. If you have it in your head that you've got a specific guitar tone or a specific bass tone or drum tone or whatever, unless you're a keyboard player where you can program your patches so you literally have the exact same tones at every single gig, I guess it's mostly for guitar and bass players this, but you're not going to sound like Geddy Lee or Marcus Miller at every single gig. Venues vary, crowd sizes vary, density of walls vary. You're not going to sound the same every time. Just focus on having a good sound every time. That's all you need. It doesn't need to sound like you. It just needs to sound good. And I've worked with people before that have gone on a proper tone quest and they've spent far far too long setting up for the gig trying to get their sound to work through the systems PA in an unfamiliar venue when I've worked with other fantastic players that have just turned up with just a cheap amp and a cheap guitar and plugged in and they've sounded fantastic so don't overthink it don't be one of those schmucks that goes and spends 75 quid for a 300k pot because Brian May uses them or whatever just get stuff that Sounds good, feels fun to play, gives you confidence. Certainly for guitars and basses, you don't need to spend more than 350 quid on a new instrument. You really don't, you know, by all means do if you've got the money. It's fun and guitars are awesome, but you don't need to spend more than that. But definitely get your gear set up by a professional. It makes a huge difference to have had a good guitar set up. And speaking as a professional technician, 
I would just say make sure you get it done by somebody that knows what they're doing and it's not some guy working out of his mum's living room that you replied to a Facebook Marketplace advert for. The thing all band leaders should invest in is a decent PA system. Even if just for vocals, it's essential to better offer a self-contained product when pitching to venues or festivals or anything like that. And in the covers world, it's pretty unusual to turn up a wedding or a pub and find a decent PA system already there. You're going to need a PA. Singers that just turn up with a microphone, I see you and you should have a PA. It, it just helps. You don't Again, you don't need to spend very much. I, I think my one set me back about 500 quid and it, it's got everything it needs. It's got loud speakers and it's got a mixing desk and speaker stands and things. And that's all you really need. It just needs to make... If nothing else, you just want to make the vocals louder and sometimes the kick drum. And that's, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy, just have something. And particularly for originals band, if you're pitching to the kind of venues that wouldn't normally have music on, you're trying to play in like coffee shops or pubs or things like that that wouldn't normally have people, the ability to say, look, we're self-contained, we have a PA system, we have lights, if you have lights, it's a massive um, value add. So if you can afford to, seriously consider it. Final note on gear, guitarists, bassists, guitar players, I guess, always loop your cable through your strap. I know it's a cliche, I know a lot of people hassle about it, but I just keep seeing people still not doing it. And it's really important because if you don't do this, yes, people like me will judge how you look, but more importantly, if you move about on stage, you risk treading on your cable and ripping out your jack socket in the middle of a song. And this is another thing, I wouldn't make the point if I hadn't seen so many people do it over the years, where they move about, they've got the foot on the cable, and their guitar jack gets ripped out, and they then spend the next couple of minutes scrabbling around on the floor of the stage, trying to find where their lead's gone. It's just so important. And again, it should go without saying, but I'm going to say it. It's non-negotiable. Number five, a quick note on stage setting uniforms and uh, visuals in general consider whatever your band is and whatever level you're working at consider getting some kind of uniform a shirt and some smart jeans can work for a lot of bands but even upgrading to matching shirts and trousers can make a band seem so much more professional and it makes it clear that you're a, a specific act and not just some punters getting up on stage or you know the waiters having a go if you're one of those bands that wears you know black pants and and white shirts just have something to differentiate yourselves you know the, some of the greatest bands have had like an on stage look people like devo in their boiler suits or you know, metronomy with their light up and badges they used to wear in the early days just have a bit of a look going on it doesn't need to be uniform you don't all need to dress the same but if you look the part and fit in with again the overall aesthetic branding of what you're doing it will really pay dividends and it just makes you look so much better to the people watching and it's just so worth it so if you've not already done that consider it also stage setting type stuff generally whatever you're doing i would recommend having a banner um, so this would be something with your logo and or branding on it social media links maybe a photo that sort of thing just so that anybody that's there can take a photo of it if they're interested and they want to potentially hire you but also that your branding is there so if anybody goes has a great time they take a few pictures they go oh darn what was that band i saw last night they look at their pictures and it's there the name is there on the on the banner 
when I was working with the ukulele boy band, Ukebox, we had banners and we had quite a few wedding bookings where people had done exactly that. They'd seen us play at a bar in town and they'd taken a picture of us and thought, oh, they were really good. I wish I knew what they were called. Saw our banner and were able from that to look us up and, and hire us. So it's it's really worth it. And for what a banner costs, I mean, 10 years ago, it was maybe 120 quid for a really good one. I imagine it's cheaper now. I really recommend you look into it. So finally, item number six, we reached the set list. Again, an overlooked thing for many people, but something that if you get it right, again, it will just add to this product that you're building up. It becomes an important part of it, and it makes the overall quality and the audience's perception of the level of quality you're offering and the value that you're offering, it just makes all that so much better. It needs to serve the overall shtick that your band are going for, but as a general rule, the most important keyword here, the absolute word for the day, is just flow. It all needs to flow together. There are lots of things that can make a set list flow, but as a general thing, just look into what keys your songs are in and what tempos they're at. And you know, you're going to want an explosive opener and then maybe sort of rain it back in, third or fourth song in. If you have a ballad, do the ballad then, then bringing it back up again. If you listen to any classic album, they take that sort of format where they have an opener, some exciting stuff, bring it back in a bit. Then side two of the LP, there'll be the second big single usually. And then just control the energy. It doesn't have to be all the way up all the time, but just make it flow, make it work together. Don't do anything jarring unless that is your intention to make it jarring, which I know sounds a bit nebulous, but I guess what I'm saying is just give it some consideration. Really think about it. Don't just go, right, this is the order we wrote the songs in. Let's do them in that order. Just, yeah, give it some thought and it will be worth it. And it's a skill and many people are very good at this, but many people just don't give it any thought. So give it some thought. It will be worth it. So that pretty much covers it. To conclude, there are six core things you need to look at to get your shows to be as entertaining, engaging, and fun as they can possibly be. These things are all you need to look at to make your shows the ultimate product for your band, which is also your brand. Number one, get the music nailed. Learn your parts, know what you're doing. Number two, showmanship. Because you know what you're doing, you're able to have some fun on stage and look like you're having fun. Interact with the other people, interact with the audience, have fun and show that you're having fun in however way you best do that. Number three is professionalism. Just keep things on brand with the crowd, but don't be a dick. Be good to the people that you're around, be excellent to one another and try and learn the sound engineer's name. It's it's little details like that but people that work with you will remember that and you'd be surprised how many venues the sound engineer or people of that ilk will have a lot of say in which bands get pulled back particularly for wedding venues it's surprising how much weight people like the bartenders have on whether bands get invited by the venue or recommended by the venue to prospective couples it really does pay off just to be a good person to work with number four is equipment just get the best stuff you can afford but don't obsess over it and don't forget that adequacy is all you need. All it needs is to be good enough. It doesn't need to be amazing. It doesn't need to be expensive. You don't need to show off how wonderful your gear is. If you do, great, good for you. But if you're worried about money or anything like that, the cheapest guitar, if played well, will be fine. 
so don't stress about it. If you can keep the thing in tune, that's basically all you need to worry about. Number five, stage outfits and set design. Just set yourself apart from other bands and from other people at the venue. Look like a band. Feed it into the branding. Look like you're meant to be there. And if you can, have a banner that will help people find you if they decide they want to see you again. And number six, finally, just choose your set list well. Have everything in an order that flows. Have the songs flow from one to another. Take people on a journey and have a beginning and a middle and an end of your overall set you know if you're doing 245s with a break in the middle then have a little peek at the end of the first set as well and a bit of an introduction at the start of the second one just look at structure treat it like a story so that just about covers it thank you very much for listening to six ways to make your band shows the ultimate product on big gig energy next week we're going to be looking at the ancient and respected arts of branding and marketing. See you then. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Big Gig Energy Podcast. This is the bit where I'm obliged to fish for engagement and stuff, so you can find me on Instagram as Big Gig Energy, that's B-I-G-G-I-G-E-N-E-R-G-Y, or you can get in touch via email at biggigenergy at gmail.com. I'll uh, link anything relevant in the show notes below, but otherwise, if you've had any thoughts on this episode or would be interested in some one-to-one coaching for yourself and or your band, feel free to get in touch. Otherwise, do all the usual social media stuff, I guess, and let's keep the discussion going. Many thanks as ever to all my supporters and collaborators, and as always, best of luck with your next big gig.